Colossians chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just come into your presence and we ask that your spirit would be at work in us. We ask that you would work through your word and that your word would build us up. Give us hearts that are attentive uh, to this passage of Scripture. We know that these habits and and, um, attributes don't form in us naturally, but are the work of, of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would make us more like Jesus, that we would put on in our actions towards other, the, others the character uh, of Jesus Christ. We pray that that would be contagious, that that would encourage us as a body, but that others outside of our church would see that and be attracted to you. And the, the Word of God tells us, Lord, you, you Lord Jesus, tell us that, that non-Christians uh, will see our love and find something different about that. And so we ask that you would form these attributes and habits in us. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you uh, remember when your kids were little, but, but think back to some of those early days if you have children or nieces or, or family members. Um, when your kids were learning to dress themselves. Remember some of those mistakes they made? Remember when they first started picking out their own clothes uh, and they come to you with these two completely mismatched items and, and they are just so proud that they've dressed themselves. And you've got to gently take them back into their room and, honey, why don't we, why don't we pick out something uh, that matches? Uh, in our house, if the kids would come to me and say, you know, Daddy, I dressed myself. Does, how does this look? I would say, well, go ask your mother. Because inevitably there would be two red colors and I would go, red goes with red. What could possibly go wrong? And my wife would say, you can't wear those two reds together. It doesn't look right. And every now and then, the kids would put on something really wild, really flashy. Sometimes they would wear these big, pink, poofy skirts that were actually little ballet skirts. And, and it wasn't worth fighting with them to get them to change. And so we would go out in public and they would have these flashy dresses on and then sneakers. And they looked like they were half of them was going to go dance ballet and the other half was ready to go run a track meet. And you just go, they dressed themselves today. We are in a passage of Scripture where we are reminded where the Lord Jesus teaches us how to dress ourselves. He teaches us what kinds of habits and, and attributes that we are to put on so that we might look more like Jesus Christ in our behavior. That we might act 
like Jesus Christ. And so each one of these attributes, and we, we don't have time to, to look into all the scripture verses, but it's interesting that each one of these attributes that we are commanded to put on is also something that we see demonstrated in Jesus himself. Compassion, meekness, gentleness, humility, uh, love, patience, all of these things are found in Jesus Christ. So our point this morning is simply we, we want to give instructions on how to put on Jesus Christ. Now, in the one hand, we've been talking about this the last few weeks. We already have in Jesus put on the new self. When you make your profession of faith and you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the old self is crucified And Jesus tells us, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that in Christ we are a new creation. Paul says in Colossians here uh, a few verses earlier that we have put on Christ, but also that this is being renewed in us daily in knowledge. So there is a, we've already done this because our sins are forgiven, but there is now also a, Go out and do this. Put on these attributes. Dress like this regularly because that's who you are on the inside. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and He has transformed you. And He wants to continue to work in you to bear the image of Jesus. So first this morning, put on Christ by putting on a heart of compassion and love. So Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on these Christ-like attributes of compassion and meekness and gentleness. And the motive for putting these things on is who you are as a believer. Who you are as a Christian. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Because this is who you are, this is how you should dress. You are one of God's chosen people. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we were chosen before the foundations of the world to be God's children. That God, before we were born, before we had done anything good or bad, not taking into account anything about us, chose us to be His children. Chose us to receive salvation. Ephesians 1, 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God chose us to a life of holiness, that that he saw us in our sins and because of nothing inside of us, he chose us to salvation, that we should receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his work in us. And now he is working that out, making us holy. We are beloved. God loves us. Not because of anything inside of us. Not because of anything we had done or because of anything that we would do. We were dead in our sins. And God, in the riches of Jesus Christ, bestowed on us His love. He chose us before the foundations of the world. 
And then he worked in our lives. And, and you've experienced this where there was a point in your time, in time where, where you went from being dead in your sins to the Lord opening your heart. Maybe someone shared the gospel with you or someone was preaching the word of God or someone began to talk to you about these things and, and the Holy Spirit started working and maybe it was all at once he opened your eyes or maybe it was over a number of conversations. But you came to this point where your eyes were open, you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ was put on you. And now... God is telling us, put on these attributes. Why? Because you are God's precious child. You are belonging to Him. And He has been working in you. And He started this process even before you came into existence. He knew you. And He chose you. And you are His beloved. Your and my motivation for for going out and living the godly night life is not because we can pay God back. It's not because we can somehow earn our salvation or or give back to God. We go out as and live this way as an expression of gratitude. The fuel for the fire, the the motivation behind doing all of these things is look at the overwhelming grace of God. His power has saved you. And His power now equips you to go and live for Him. You are His chosen one, His holy beloved. So now, put on a compassionate heart. Uh, The word compassionate heart, the word heart here is not the actual normal word for for heart. It actually uh, would refer to the deepest part of our inward being, that that seed of the emotion. In the ancient world, we, we say... Emotions are in the heart. Now, we know it's not our our physical heart that pumps blood, but we talk about the depths of our heart, that, that deep down spot where emotion flows from. In the ancient world, they talked about a person's bowels. The deep emotions came from the bowels, the the depth of who you are. So literally, you could translate this, put on compassionate bowels. Um, that that does not go over very well in English. But but the the depths of your emotion, the 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 core of who you are. We might even say romantically, you know, from from the very core of my soul, I love you, dear, or from the depths of my heart. Well, from whatever we call that 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 inward place where the emotions flow. And and guys, don't don't tell your wife it's from your bells. That that is just not going to be romantic. Um, but we are to put on compassion from the deepest part of who we are. Compassion should flow out of ourselves naturally because the Lord Jesus Christ was compassionate with us. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 when he's appealing to the believers to to be more godly. He says, I appeal to you from the mercies or by the mercies of God. Based on all of the mercy that God has shown you, he says, now go out and be transformed. Live a certain way. Well, that same word for mercies there is the same word here when it says put on compassion. 
compassionate hearts, merciful hearts, that, that same abounding mercy that, that God had for you when He saved you out of the depths of your sin, that, that mercy that, is, that Paul deals with all of through Romans 1 through 11 and then finally says in chapter 12, now in view of God's mercies, all of those mercies should be the motivating factors for us having mercy and compassion. Remember the parable that Jesus tells of the man who is taken before a king and is forgiven a huge debt that he could not pay back in his lifetime. And the man is overwhelmed in the mercy that he receives. It is just abundant in what overflows to him. This king taking away his debt. And then he goes out. And, and he has a servant of his own who owes him what is, is basically just a few days worth of salary. And the man says to him, forgive me my debt. I can, I can pay this back in just a short time. And the man who had that great debt lifted off of his plate does not show mercy to the one who asks him to receive mercy. And Jesus rebukes that kind of attitude. And in the parable, the king uh, throws that man back in jail. And Jesus warns us, so this will happen to us if we who have been shown great mercy do not show mercy to others. God has shown you a richness of kindness beyond measure, beyond what you can and I can sit and calculate up. And now, as we put on these attributes of Christ, the very core of our being should, should have this mercy directed towards others. Not only that, but, but kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 as well tells us to put on the same attributes of humility, gentleness or meekness with patience. Genuine kindness, humility, meekness and patience are contrary to the spirit of the age. It's contrary to how people tell us to live in our day and age. If you want to be someone famous, if you want to uh, grab life by the horns and, and be a success, we are not told to go out and be humble. Have you ever seen a sports player who, who gets ahead by being humble? Not usually. Our world lives by, by touting successes. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ who, who came to earth and could have come with all of the, the pomp and circumstances and, and royalty of, of the heavenly hosts behind Him did not come that way. He came in humility, in a meekness of spirit where there was such a, a tender gentleness about Him. Remember how the disciples treated children that wanted to see Jesus? Remember how they were sort of like, wow, he, you know, he doesn't have time for these kids. And Jesus says what? Let the little children come to me. Why does he do that? It shows his gentleness, his meekness. How often would, would a, a ruler, or even in our day, a, a president of a country just throw everything out of his busy schedule and say, you know what, let's have some kids come in and just, you know, I'll, 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 I'm meeting with all these dignitaries, but I'll clear my schedule this afternoon. I just want to hang out with some kids. They don't do that. 
It's a world leader. They have a measure of respectability and circumstance behind them. And, and they have important things to do. Jesus, who had the most important thing to do for us, was so gentle and meek that he could spend time with children. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, same word he's using in Colossians, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on from there and says, who was in the very form of God, did not consider this equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself, even he humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross, which was by far the most humiliating way you could die in the ancient world. Jesus Christ, equal with God in terms of power and glory, how far did he humble himself? He did not come using these, these attributes to his own advantage, saying, I am God. Worship me. Serve me. Come before me. Rather, he came in a manger. Scripture says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul says, have this attitude, have this kind of humility in you. One of my favorite verses comes in Matthew, where Matthew, quoting uh, from the book of Isaiah, says, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You think about the tenderness that it takes. If you've ever been in a flower bed and accidentally broken over one of those flowers and it doesn't break off and, and, and think of how just gentle you have to be to kind of lift that branch up and, and put it back into place. Maybe you, you tie it to something, but, but if you are even just slightly off or, or slightly too forceful with it, it will break. If you don't have a meekness and a gentleness, Think of, of in, in, if you've ever been around candles that are, that are smoldering and just the slightest puff of air, even, even just speaking, will snuff that little flame out. It is a picture of how gentle Jesus is with hurting sinners. And that is the same kind of gentleness that he desires to build in us. That same kind of patience when we are wronged. And so... Paul continues in verse 13, telling us to put up with one another and be willing to forgive. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Uh, I like to be maybe a little more literal in my translation, and you could actually translate this, put up with one another. And, and I kind of like that because in, in English, when we, you know, we talk about, oh, I have to put up with people. Uh, and sometimes we say that out of frustration, and sometimes we say that to be mean. But that is the image here of, of bearing with other people. That, that someone rubs me the wrong way, particularly in the church, and I, I put up with them. And, and not in a, oh, I fold my arms in a sort of way, but, but in a, 
they're a brother and sister in Christ. And I need to develop patience. And if they're struggling with something or they just have aspects of their personality that just grade me the wrong way, we have to work together because we're family. And sometimes they do something wrong or they do something that annoys me. And, and you know what? I just have to let it go. It has to be like water off a duck's back. I have to, in, in the best sense of the word, put up with them. Because that God has made us brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Even more, when I have a complaint against another, I need to be willing to forgive. A a complaint against another person is not just a grumbling in my own heart, but a a genuine, I have an issue. They really did something that wronged me. This this goes beyond maybe just being a little bit annoyed with someone, but, but maybe someone actually said something to you that hurt you. Maybe someone actually did something that was wrong to you, and you have a legitimate beef or issue. And Scripture tells us we need to forgive each other. And the motivation is, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, there are times in life where the offense is minor. And, and putting up with them means we overlook it. We don't bear a grudge. We just let it slide. Sometimes you say, you know what? They didn't mean it. That's just the way they are. Sometimes they get carried away and you move on. That would, I think, be an example of the, the putting up, the, the bearing with one another. There are other times where genuine forgiveness is needed. And you have a complaint with someone and and it's an issue. And you can't just let it slide under the rug because it'll build up bitterness inside of you. It'll keep something in that relationship you have with that person. It'll, It'll keep attention. And so there needs to be a real reconciliation, a forgiveness. But we have to be willing to forgive. The emphasis here is on when someone has wronged us, us being willing to forgive. Maybe someone comes to us and they acknowledge that guilt. And how do we respond? Do we hold off and say, well, I'll wait to see if you really meant it? Or do we extend forgiveness? Because we know the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. The motivation for forgiving is as the Lord has forgiven you. So you consider for a moment how many things has Jesus Christ forgiven you of? Jesus Christ has forgiven you when you sin intentionally against someone or against him. The, the, what we call sinning with a high hand. I, I knew it was wrong. I knew it would make Jesus angry. I knew it was disobeying. And I went out and did it anyways. Are we willing to forgive people when they sin that way against us? They knew it would make us angry. They knew we would not be happy. They knew it would wrong us, and they did it anyways. Christ forgave you of those things as you've asked for it and repented. Do you forgive others of those things? Christ forgives us when we sin unintentionally. You know, when we didn't mean it, when we, when we weren't plotting ahead or planning how to sin, but we just had a moment of weakness and we regret it and we come before him, he forgives us. Sometimes people wrong you in that way, in that relationship. And sometimes 
we are suspicious. Someone will come to us and say, I, I didn't mean it. I, I know this hurt you. I know it was wrong, but you got to believe me. I didn't mean it. I had a moment of weakness. I stumbled. And what do we say sometimes? Yeah, right. You knew that that would hurt me and you just did this intentionally. Do we forgive as Christ forgives? Christ forgives us uh, when we pay insufficient attention to him. Christ forgives us when we do not love him ahead of, of ourselves. Christ forgives us in a way that, that he does not bear grudges. His, his forgiveness is never half-hearted. He does not hold it out before us and say to us, well, you messed up this time. I want to see if you can get it right before I forgive you. Isn't that sometimes the way that we act in our relationships with others? Isn't that sometimes that we, we maybe we say, yes, I forgive you. But, but secretly in our hearts we're saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to give them another chance. I'm going to, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to hold it against them. Maybe sometimes uh, in a marriage or, or in a relationship, we, we forgive someone, but down the road we, we sort of hold it as a notch against them. Remember how good I was to you when I forgave you. And we hold that as sort of a prize. We won this time because look how good we were. We forgave. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is perfect, and if he had wanted to, he could hold every sin that we've ever done over our heads. Even in our forgiveness, he could drag it up against us and say, remember how good I was? Wish you could be a little more like me in this relationship. Jesus Christ does not forgive us in that way. Scripture says in Psalm 103, and I just want to read this, and I want to you to reflect on all of these attributes of God here that we are also in Colossians told to take up. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That's another way of saying incredibly patient. Abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Brothers and sisters, that is the kind of compassion that God displays to us. And that is the kind of compassion, forgiveness, mercifulness, gentleness, and humility that he wants us to show to others when they've wronged us. This is how far we go to keep peace in our relationships with other Christians. Finally, Paul says in this chapter... In verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How do I have compassion? How do I have this mercy, this humility, this gentleness? All of this is bound together by love. 
This is true in the attributes of God. Why does God give us forgiveness and mercy and show compassion? Why is he slow to anger? Why does he send the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us? Because he loves us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. All of these attributes that God shows to us are bound together because Jesus and God the Father loves us. And in the same way, love Genuine care for other people causes us, if we are a believer, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show grace and patience and be slow to anger, be quick to forgive. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 what this love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Have you and I put on this kind of love in our relationships? Is there maybe someone in your life that you need to go and forgive? Or maybe you've forgiven them at least outwardly you've said that but now you've been the one wronging them by holding a grudge by seething over something and you need to go back to them and say you know i said i forgive you but now i need to ask your forgiveness because i've held this against you in my heart we are to live towards others with compassion And have the humility that allows us to go and be willing to forgive, but also to be willing to ask for forgiveness. Jesus Christ wants you to put on his attributes and walk in holiness and walk in genuine love. May we do that. Second this morning, Paul tells us that we are to put on Christ by letting his peace rule in our hearts. Let His peace rule in our hearts. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And so the way this works itself out again is look at what God has done for you. God through Jesus Christ has established peace. Jesus made Peace. I think what it's talking about when it says, let the peace of Christ rule in you, is first, it's the peace that Jesus has won for us. The cross of Jesus Christ accomplishes peace. What that means is, we were enemies with God in our sin. 
And when Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, he accomplished what the Bible calls reconciliation. It's just like it sounds. When you reconcile with someone, you go back and you make peace. When two armies are fighting and they reconcile, the debt is settled. Peace has been made. There is now a good relationship. Scripture says in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified through faith, Meaning, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and received His righteousness, Paul says, we have peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that, that Christ took down the dividing line of hostility between Jew and Gentile that lived in the temple. And, and those people, the Gentiles who were far from God, God has brought them close in Jesus Christ. And He has made peace with the sinners. And now, the body of Christ needs to have peace in it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-3. through three, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and with gentleness, with patience, bearing in one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of sp- the Spirit in the bond of Peace. It is no coincidence that Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God makes peace with His enemies. Therefore, His children who who know Jesus and have the peace of Jesus inside of them are to be peacemakers, to be people who in the body of Christ are connected in a peaceable relationships. What that means basically is that inside the church we should not be fighting and backbiting. When there is a problem, we should go and make peace. When human beings make peace, nine times out of ten, or maybe we could even say 99% of the time, both sides have to give a little. When peace is made, maybe there are both parties that are in the wrong. And you meet somewhere in the middle. Sometimes, even just in the regular world, peace involves a level of negotiation. Okay, I'll do this for you if you will help me with this or do this for me. And I don't mean that in our relationships it should not be in a sort of manipulative way. But what I do mean is it takes a measure of humility to make peace with someone. You have to be willing to bend. You have to be willing to to give up saying, it's my way or the highway. Because that is what it takes to make peace. God, in a sense, was willing to bend. He didn't compromise His holiness, but He was willing to, instead of pouring out that wrath for my sin onto me, He was willing to turn and put that wrath on Jesus Christ. And that was a sacrifice on Jesus' part. And the Father who dearly loves His Son Jesus was willing to do that. I don't want to water it down and say that Jesus or God met us halfway because it's not that at all. But you can see the self-sacrifice that it took God to make peace with us. How much more, when we make peace with others, do we have to humble ourselves, give up some of our sinful pride, pride that obviously God never had, 
and he went out of his way to make peace. How much more do you and I go out of our ways to make peace? Scripture tells us just how far we should go in making peace with someone. So if you have an offering, if you are offering your gift on the altar, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 5. If you are offering your gift, uh, offering, yeah. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is so concerned about brothers and sisters in Christ making peace when there is something between them. He is basically saying, if you are in the temple worshiping and you are ready to offer your sacrifice or your free will offering or whatever, it, it, it's kind of like saying, we would say in our day, you know, you, you are ready to put your money today in the offering plate. You are ready to be here for worship. And all of a sudden, you remember you have something wrong with a brother. Stop what you are doing and go and resolve that. Not, well, put it off until tomorrow because you'll get back to it later in the week. But reconciling with a brother or sister in Christ is so important. Jesus is saying, Hold off for a second on your worship and go make up with that brother or sister in Christ. Do you and I have that kind of commitment to each other? When my kids are fighting, my wife often has this wonderful little thing she'll say to the girls. She says, you're going to be sisters forever. Meaning you better solve this now because sisters are for life. How much more is that true for brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, we are not only brothers and sisters for this life, but we are brothers and sisters for the life to come. You're going to have to get along with them for all of eternity. Now, thankfully, in heaven, we will both be perfect, so that will take care of a lot of problems, all of them, actually. But how much more now should we be pursuing peace Because we're going to live with them in the presence of Jesus forever. I don't know how it would work, but I can imagine it would be a little bit embarrassing for two saints to walk into heaven into the presence of Jesus and him say, Now I heard you had some trouble that you didn't resolve before you got here. I don't know if it works exactly like that, but I imagine it would be somewhat embarrassing that if the first time I make peace with a brother or sister is when we are in the presence of God in heaven. Paul continues with some just practical advice for how to live together in peace, how to make this work in the body. Verse 16, let let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Two things. One, the image that comes to my mind is sports players. You know how sports players, when they score a touchdown, they're like, yeah, yeah, this was great. This was all, you know, they pat themselves on the head. Football players smack each other on the butt, and there's just this camaraderie. And what do you think they're talking about? I mean, they are, they are talking about if they're playing football, football. If they're playing baseball, they are talking about the game or the score. They, they let the word of football richly dwell in them in that moment. And it encourages them and it binds them together. And they, they get out there and they, they do the big play again because they're just 
in a good way, egging each other on. The image here is that Christians, when we gather together, do the same thing. The, the word of Christ so richly dwells in us. We, maybe we're not doing high fives and, and please on the way out, do not, you know, smack me on the butt and say, you know, great sermon, way to score a touchdown. Um, but does the word of Christ dwell in us so richly that, that we speak words of encouragement, that we speak spiritual truths and someone comes in and they've had a bad day and we say, you know what, let me just encourage you. That we are here for you and you know Jesus won't abandon you. Or maybe we share a testimony and someone tells us about a hard time and we can encourage them by saying, you know what, I've been through the exact same thing you've been through. And I know you don't feel like Jesus is there, but he is. And he walked me through it. Or we sing a song together. But all of this we do in thankfulness. Let me say just a practical piece of advice. If you're angry with someone, I think one of the best ways to overcome that anger is to say something about them that you're thankful for. To, to genuinely say something in prayer about them. And I don't mean the sort of prayer where you say to them, Oh God, you need to take care of them because I just can't handle them. I mean the, the prayer where you say to God, God, thank you that they're here in church. Or I know we have this problem between us right now but I'm thankful that they do this, or I'm thankful that they're a believer. It is really, really hard to stay mad at someone at the same time you're thanking God. And that works in marriage, too. That works in, in marital relations. You're fighting with your spouse, and, and I know sometimes you have a fight and it takes time to work through the issues, but you can deal with your own heart by thanking God for something about your spouse. Because it is... I want to say it's, it's almost impossible. But then someone will say to me, well, I had a scenario where this happened. and I, I, But it is almost impossible to genuinely thank God for someone and let that bitterness dwell in your heart. And if you can do that, there's something seriously wrong when you can walk into the presence of God and have that bitterness still. Thankfulness is a wonderful way, and expressing thankfulness is a wonderful way to help your heart mend itself and overcome whatever it is that you're dealing with as you look for forgiveness. Finally, Paul says in the, the end of the verse, verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We'll talk about this in the next coming weeks because Paul goes on in the end of the, uh, verse 23 and 24 saying, Whatever we do, do as for the Lord. But in word or deed, you represent the name of Jesus. How much more then should we be putting on attributes of forgiveness and love. Let's bow in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence today and we want to delight ourselves in you. Maybe there is some relationship in our life where we need to take time and go to that person and ask for forgiveness reconcile with them. Make sure that things are smoothed over and there is genuine peace. Lord, maybe there's something in these verses that you would have us tuck away for a later time because none of us are perfect in our relationships. We both need to learn how to forgive 
and to be willing to ask for forgiveness. But most of all, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. That as we turn our hearts now and celebrate communion, we are reminded of the depths and riches of the forgiveness that you have shown us. That the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. Crucifying to death every one of my sins. Placing them on that cross so the penalty is removed. So that I can find freedom and liberation and love in Jesus Christ. Lord, you have forgiven us a huge, tremendous debt that we could never pay off. Our debt deserves an eternal suffering in the horrible fires of hell. And yet, Lord, you being the Son of God, hanging on that cross, paid all of that penalty in my place. Lord, help me to marvel again at your forgiveness, at your grace. Stoke that fire in in my heart that I might have a growing love, a growing appreciation of grace, and that it, it in turn would make me more gracious, more patient, more humble, because, Lord, I am a sinner and you forgave me. Help me to forgive those who sin against me. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen.